Welcome to Idea Podcast. My name is Bahar, and today I will be talking with Arash Ahmadi. Uh, thank you, Arash, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome. So uh, I'll first give you a brief introduction about Arash. Uh, Arash was born in Shiraz, Iran, in 1989. During high school, he became interested in physics and astronomy. And even though he was enrolled as a student in the mechanical engineering department at Shiraz University, halfway through, he changed his major to physics. After finishing the undergraduate studies, he moved to Canada to pursue a master's and then a PhD degree in physics. Immigration, even though being at most times harsh, painful, and challenging, gave him the opportunity to explore some aspects of life which were not easily accessible back home. Aspects which have made him question various beliefs and goals he was raised with. About six months ago, he experienced another migration, and this time from Canada to Germany and is currently working as a researcher in the Technical University of Munich. So, my first question to you, Arash. Why study physics? What was the young 18-year-old Arash thinking at the time? Um, well, my, my first uh, my contact with, uh, with well, the physics and stuff was with uh, the uh, Astronomy Olympiad in Iran. You know, in Iran, there's this uh, big hype about the, the scientific Olympiads. Physics, math, astronomy, these stuff. And first, I was like studying for this, and then, of course, uh, in the teenage time, studying about the stars, the, the the solar system, and all that thing is really interesting and uh, uh, just raises your sense of cur curiosity. And uh, that was the first uh, interaction. And then uh, I think it was physics one that at, at the university that uh, with the mechanics, the classical mechanics, and then the book that we were taught with and the, um, and the, and the prof that uh, taught the thing, I, I just was so fascinated by getting into like the underlying like theories of, of how things work versus the engineering world, which is mainly just uh, uh, involved with doing the applications of things of, using those theories for building something and then using them in the, in a later stage but figuring out how things come to that stage was like became uh, i don't know i became really interested in that aspect and uh then i had an opportunity of uh pursuing like both uh like majors for 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 some time i could also be enrolled yeah, as, as a second major i first chose physics and this uh, was because you had a good degree in the abitur. Yeah, it's the entrance so. university exam. You're ranked, and then based on your rank, you have some. You can have this opportunity to have, have a double major. So I kind of used that uh, uh, opportunity. And you know, everybody in Iran, uh, and after it's not in, in Iran, it's all all over Middle East. So you people go for engineering. And I yeah, noticed, sure. like after <laughs> after I moved to uh, like after I moved to Canada, I realized it's not just just Iran. The the all over Middle East is just if you're doing if you're a bit good in math or physics, you go for engineering. So no matter what it is, you have to become an engineer. <laughs> uh, so that I just I was like one sheep in the herd. So I I also followed the whole wave in uh, intermechanical engineering. But then I realized, okay, it might not be what I want. And the turning point and then the critical point was uh, taking quantum mechanics one. And that was the, <laughs> the, uh, the game changer, really, that I realized, okay, I, I cannot go back to engineering. So after that, okay. the world of mysterious world of quantum mechanics, uh, just uh, I was so amazed by it that the ordinary 
uh, job of an engineer was not uh, was no longer an option. <laughs> so uh, my my apologies to all uh, the engineers engineer fellows who are going to be listening to this. But uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was my uh, my kind of reaction after taking that. And then, and then after uh, I had taken one year leave from mechanical engineering in that time to just uh, like a bit focused on, on physics more. And once after that one year leave, I went, tried to go back to engineering. And I think I had thermodynamics course or something like that. And I kept comparing with the thermodynamics that I was taking in physics compared to the engineering department. So, okay, no, this, this is, this yeah. is not for me. So then I dropped out of the engineering. And, I, and it was, so it was, you, yeah, go. Uh, sorry, are you one of those that can claim I, you understood quantum mechanics or you understand quantum mechanics? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the answer is definitely no. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Niels Bohr, I think it's Niels Bohr that says whoever is not uh, like amazed or uh, is not understands or something. Yeah, yeah. He, he has not understood it well. He's not amazed by it or something like that. Nice. So you're yeah. still fascinated. So that yeah. brings me to my next question. So you stayed with physics. You gave up engineering. I hope your family went along with that, being in Iran and wanting to be an engineer, maybe. But, so you stayed with physics, and now you're a researcher in TU Munich or TU München. Uh, can you explain for us or for our audience uh, briefly your research field? What are you constantly uh, working on? Because you're pursuing a postdoc degree, as I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm working as a researcher. Uh, there's yeah. So, uh, so the things that my path was not completely direct to uh, to quantum mechanics for grad studies. So during undergrad, I became like both interested in biophysics uh, and quantum mechanics, and uh, so. I, uh, in, in the applications that I sent, I got accepted to, for, a, for a research position uh, for a master's degree in biophysics. So I went and pursued my master's, actually first biophysics. But then I, after like finishing that, I realized like it, it, it doesn't have enough physics for me that, that I wanted, that I was like interested in. So I, with a little bit of luck, with a little bit of uh, like, uh, trying on my side i i got i managed to get enrolled in in uh for a phd degree in university of waterloo uh for uh, quantum information uh, program and there during my phd i uh worked on uh quantum light sources which um the quantum dots uh if anybody's uh familiar with that term uh sources that you shine light on them and you get quantum states of light photons and uh, there are like specific features uh, with those uh, with those sources that uh, they can generate pairs of entangled photons. They are entangled. They can be entangled in various ways. And my uh, my project in during my PhD was to first like measure the degree of entanglement in those sources of, of those photons and try to enhance them by means of changing the excitation, uh, the way that you excite the, the quantum dot. During my postdoc. Here, it is not far, far from what I did in my PhD, but still different. Here, I am uh, uh, going to be working something called with quantum dot molecules, like two quantum dots right next to each other, which are coupled to each other. So they can generate a more complex degrees of uh, um, uh, entanglement uh, for photons, for the emitted photons, called cluster states. So this is like the project's like far, far away from reaching that, that state. But uh, <laughs> uh, right now is like the, the, the first steps of trying to like play with the 
uh, electrons and holes in the quantum dance and try to get okay, to that. Okay. Yeah. So there's but, always the proposal talk and there's the reality talk. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, wow. yeah, the, the, yeah. Okay, so my next question is, what was the main reason you decided to stay in academia? Because a lot of people, a lot of students, they're like, should I pursue a PhD? Because if I do, what happens? Uh, then I have to stay in academia or I, I, can, I have the possibility to go to industry. So you clearly decided to stay with academia. Mm -hmm. So apparently your PhD went well, you were not depressed or something, but we'll get to that afterwards. But my question is, like, what was the main reason that you decided okay. to continue research? Okay, so first of all, later on, we should uh, make a cl uh, correction of that statement, the PhD went well, you were not depressed and also. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about it. But one, I think one thing that the first thing that comes to my mind was laziness, because uh, the... <laughs> The job, idleness, the need for idleness and laziness, because I believe uh, the student life still uh, was kind of something that I couldn't let go of, just because the lifestyle in an industry or working in a, I don't know, company or, or something mm -hmm. like that does not fit me. Even at the age of 31, it still does not fit, feel, fit me. So mm -hmm. I still have this level of stress that once this stage is done, where am I going to fit? So this is going to be a, like, this is going to be a matter for another problem. Uh, so another you mean question. academia, you have more flexibility or is that it's, what At doing? least during the student's life, yeah, you do. Uh, during the student life, it is, you, you still have the, you're in the student phase. So not many people expect you expect much. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. This was my, my experience. Or, uh, so that was definitely one one big aspect of it. That you I hope your professor listens to this first doc. <laughs> <laughs> Try to filter the people who see you. are going. You're going to hear this. So then, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the life of industry, I, I do not see see myself like okay, to survive okay. there. That was one thing. The other thing was that yes, that the, the doing research is is fun. Still, you you play with things. There are there's a element of unknownness to things. That okay, you start something and then you don't know. You kind of, you might know what the what the path is, but the details are not there. So there's a room to play, and mm -hmm. uh, in the in that uh, sense, where from my from what I've heard of my friends who left academia and went to industry. And some of them came back, like to pursue another, to, to pursue a PhD. And then when I when I was interacting with them, there was this idea: okay, things become routine. The the project is just set for you, and you have to just do it, just routine things. So, at least in that time, that wasn't uh, uh, kind of the thing that I thought I would uh, I would pursue. Okay. And yeah, so I guess yeah. And then the one uh, one I don't know how I can fit it in. The other thing was the uh, things that you get the, um, the what is it, the compulsory um, um, service exemption by being a student. No, 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 you have to think so. You could delay that thing for as long okay. for, for a period of another year. So that was my thing. Okay. So uh, now let's move to other aspects of your journey uh, so far. Uh, you migrated with 23 to Canada. That's a big change. How was that like? Why Canada? And what did you learn from that experience? If you can wrap it up for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, well, with with the last one, why Canada? Because that was the only university that gave me admission. So, okay, so. That, that was it. So. Yeah. There was okay. no other way. So it wasn't. So the thing is that I knew that US is, is a no for me. 
So I would uh, I was never trying to go through that hell to uh, that not not the not the U.S. being hell, but the whole process yeah. being hell. But right now, I mean, U.S. has turned into a hell for immigrants. But uh, but in that time, I knew that I, I don't want to struggle that much for just getting the visa and all that thing. Even though I with with Canada, I, I went I did struggle mm-hmm. a lot dealing with the political things in that time. And uh, with with the with the changes, it was it was definitely a huge huge shock. Uh, the first thing is that you're you're going to a place where the routines and everything is happening. Like I think um, the first thing that comes to mind is the different language, and then that's when I mean the 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 concept of language itself. Yeah. So it just became bold for me when I when I immigrated but once you're in your mother mother country uh, motherland then you're you're having all the interactions with the language that you're born with and you're raised with and everything seems trivial but once you go to another country and for very simple basic daily routine things you cannot express yourself Uh, I, I never forget the first session that I had to do a teaching assistantship. It was a simple physical uh, experiment that you had to explain to for the students. And I, I could see my uh, paralysis of finding words, words, like how... Uh, I think you migrate with English, so you know English, but it's a different level, like when you're... Daily... It's, it's a different thing. It's a, I mean, my English was good. I mean, I, I was studying English since I was a teenager. Uh, I don't know, since I was, I don't know, 10, 10, 12 or something. My English was, was fairly good. And I, I could easily... I, I had, like, friends from, like, the Canadian natives. Uh, I, I became friends with them, but that uh, that barrier was mm. was was pretty huge yeah so yeah. You, you go to a uh such environment that you have uh, no sense of belonging to like mm-hmm. you do you enter like you're a city you just enter to a city that you don't know anywhere in that city you don't know anyone in that city there is no memory attached to that city so there's always this huge gap with the environment with the space yeah and as, beside that there is a sense of distance with the people you're you're interacting with people that you do not have much shared uh, memory with much shared background their concerns the things that they've brought up a bit with their nostalgia everything is different so then there's a huge struggle okay once you want to talk with someone during lunch what the hell are you going to talk about (laughs) I mean that that was that was that was a huge concern and it took me a while to uh, to find some common points that might be a point interest. like for conversation interest like for common interest to have it uh conversation so that was that was a huge challenge that that uh, uh being being i don't know left out <laughs> in, in that environment yeah. so you did you feel isolation for a period definitely of time? definitely i mean i was i was really lucky that like from day one that i entered canada i was introduced to a group of iranians with the iranian community the, the diaspora is so huge now that anywhere you go you can find some iranian friends so i was lucky enough to get, be in touch with a group of people that we remained friends with i remained friends with some of them throughout the whole seven and a half years that i was in canada so that i, I was i had that kind of a 
um, support from the group, like emotional support and mm. connection. But beyond that group, there's a huge world that you have to interact with during your work time. Yeah. That that kind of making a connection with that world is is definitely really so hard. Like, say that yeah. the main challenges that you face in your studies career and also like just living there was, was lang- the language barrier and or language barrier yeah was was definitely huge uh feeling of uh, like uh, longing for home mm-hmm. when once you're away then what so i mean i have i'm i'm a, I'm a city person like person who gets uh, his energy from city from the yeah. cities i don't know if i if that makes sense to people yeah for some people it does yeah so then from being raised in Shiraz, the I don't know the Shiraz. A lot of people think of it as Las Vegas of Iran. So it's just it's it's a place that you have fun. Like you just all the friends are a phone call away, and you can just go and hang out and all that. You go to a small town about I don't know uh, two hundred three hundred thousand people, yeah. and they're they're fun uh, and they're the the things that they do as fun is different. Then what do you what do you know the the way that they hang out with each other is different, so uh, all the the all the routine of your life is different. So you you cannot really have the same feeling with the city with the environment that you had before. So you feel this kind of disconnection okay. between okay. yourself and and the. And, and the rest of the people or the environment and all that thing. And that, that and is, that is a huge, uh, that was, I mean, that was, I mean, still is even in Munich. That was a huge uh, burden. Uh, okay. So you I live eight years in Canada. You live six years in Canada or seven? Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. So my next question, which is actually a, is a double question. The first part of it is, did you ever arrive? Did you, did you feel as Canada was your home? Never. Never. <laughs> okay. There, there was there was a few. I don't know. Um, what, so I was in Canada in, in two cities. It, first in Hamilton, uh, it's a bit like south of Toronto, and the other one is Waterloo, south west of Toronto somewhere. And Hamilton, in some days, in some some no, you know, so in in uh, in I think sometimes it just felt a bit like home. It it had a like it had a it had a character. The city had a character. It had a soul. Mm-hmm. And and the first two years of my immigration was that okay, you were just suddenly introduced to this huge, vast, unknown world. And then me being really curious about things, about people, and all that. So I though those two years of my master's degree was uh, was a time that I went and really tried to go out of my comfort zone. And for various reasons, that city became like the the city that hosted this transition mm-hmm. of me from from someone growing up in Iran with all of these its limitations, with all of these like characteristics, going to somewhere that you get to do a lot of things that you could not do uh, at home. For example, I don't know. Um, uh, just 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 uh, the fact of getting knowing from different parts of the world. That's like true, yeah. like it, Iran is not community. Yeah, Iran is not an international country. We just we don't even people from the uh, other countries of the Middle East. There, there's not much connection. So you go out there and you just introduce to you see someone from Latin America, you see someone from Africa, you see someone from East Asia, and this that huge connection. Yeah, that widens your what? 
that widens yeah your... that, yeah well, yeah widens your your, your horizon so that kind of uh for that thing that kind of felt a little bit like home but like mm-hmm. with water no okay so, so the question is of course after that it's the obvious question is uh, so why did you decide to move to Germany? And so here you have another language barrier. You have a, a gain mm-hmm. immigration. And also, so was a decision solely based on career-wise or was it that, no, you wanted to, you're still looking for home? Uh, it, so the, the question of finding home, I think it, um, uh, it just was solved in a negative way for me that I just realized that nowhere's going to be home and just, just, um, just deal with it. Suck okay. it up. So that was kind of my reaction after, like, I think it happened in the fifth year of my immigration there. And I realized, okay, as, a, as an immigrant, uh, I am always be an outsider. I'm going to be always in the margin. Uh, and there is, it's not because, and it, it's, uh, sometimes I think at the end, it, it is not really related to the host uh, society, that they're not hospitable or welcoming or something there is a barrier inside of me that Mm -hmm. doesn't let me to go beyond the level like my place is in the margin and I have to look for the people who are also in the margin and create a kind of family there and which is the family of the immigrants I think all the immigrants share that that place I think in the in, in the studies of, of psychology of, of immigration, there there's this term called the third space. So once you immigrate to another country, you're no longer in your homeland. You're no longer you you're not going to be in your uh, the, the 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 host country. You're going to be in a third space, which is a mixture of everything. And you can you can make a connection with the people who have also entered the third space. So that question of finding a home was was no longer a question. The, the idea was, okay, after seven, seven, seven and a half years, Canada has reached its level of saturation to, to bring me new experiences. Okay. Uh, I, I, had, I had, I'd seen different people. I'd seen its cities. It had, I, being in Canada, I had, like, done uh, visiting, like, Latin America, which gave me, like, Canada was one of the big things that gave the, the opportunity that it gave me, the possibilities that it gave me was traveling to parts of the world that I couldn't go before. And after that, I say okay. Um, and and also, I hated the city that I was living in, Waterloo. I have to say it out loud. <laughs> I'm sorry if someone from Waterloo hears it. I don't want to be a discouragement, but I really hate that city. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I always felt depressed in that city. So yeah, it, didn't, it was never really a good city for me. So uh, and then I said, okay, yeah, uh, let's just. Uh, Try somewhere new. And Germany is good because you can get uh, to the permanent residency much faster. Okay. That was it. Um, so, uh, my next question uh, Does it make a difference being a Middle Eastern expat or migrant, or do you think the experience that you discussed is always the same? Uh, I think the, the difference. So, Sorry, the difference I think- I think- yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about Germany or no, no, in, like in the in, in general, the, yeah, the two experiences that you had didn't mm-hmm. make it. Do you think that it made a difference that you're a Middle Eastern expat with mm-hmm. the current uh, affairs of the world and everything, or do you think no, it's just the 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 migrant goes through these mm-hmm. things that you're now? Uh, yeah. So I, I think which, which I have I, to say it doesn't yeah. have to be everybody's experience. It's your perspective. Mm-hmm. Your understand yeah so so i think so after these years 
one thing that uh, comes to my mind about is that I cannot, I can no longer group Middle Eastern, all the Middle Eastern people oh, together. Okay. I think in Iran, we have a, a bit of a different situation that someone, for example, who grows up, I mean, forget about the countries who are going on the war and they're like destroyed and destructive. But for the countries that are a bit like stable, like Iran, Lebanon, uh, Lebanon is also screwed up right now, but like uh, Turkey or like uh, other places, I think people who like in Iran, uh, we are a bit less connected our daily routine to the rest of the world that uh, that might be with the uh, some other countries in uh, Lebanon. For example, in Turkey, you might have you the sense of your connection with the Western world. And by immigration, like most of the times, it is it is to the Western world. Um, uh, it is much uh, the connection is stronger. For example, the Lebanese. Uh, this I kind of I kind of I'm making this judgment by my interaction with the people that I've met from Turkey or Lebanon or um, I don't know. So some 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 other like like even like Northern African countries, especially like Northern like with Egypt or. Um, so I think their interaction with with the uh, culturally uh, is is much stronger. They they see more tourists of those countries. There are more interaction between the universities even. So you, you can have programs between I don't know uh, uh, connections between like Germany or Turkey or Germany and uh, as France 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 and Lebanon especially have a lot of connections like in terms of uh, cultural and things. That, so in that sense. Uh, they might go through a completely different experience. They're they're okay. much closer culturally or mentally to, to okay. the West, so they might have a less barrier. But for me, being like being in Iran, we I think our cultural uh, or no, not cultural, our collective, I think um, memory or collective uh, nostalgia experiences, experiences uh, in Iran is way further away from what's happening in the rest of the world is disconnected okay. yeah so okay. and that 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 creates a further barrier okay because um, yeah so i don't know if i answered your question yeah, or sure, not. Sure, sure. Okay. it's not a, you can't generalize it that is that is yeah, yeah. Uh, i want to go back to your career because uh, now yeah. we went back we went to through migration and uh, your path but again back to your career um is your work fulfilling? And in mm -hmm. general, should work be fulfilling? And is yours fulfilling? Well, in the ideal world, it should be. Okay. Um, but um, then, okay, so, the, so for me, yeah, the, uh, getting to know physics, yeah, as like, I think it can be uh, the case for, for many other people, when you're introduced to a new field, uh, how do you, how, how are you motivated? By in one way, I'm being motivated is that okay, we, we read about the history and the stories of all the big names in that field. Oh yeah, this this guy did this, Einstein, Niels Bohr, Schrödinger, and all these big names you hear, and then you picture yourself as doing some research and going forward and like exploring <laughs> new things and like, doing all that thing. But once you like get really into the business of how things are done, then um, you're you're I don't know you're in contact with uh, you get in touch with a bit more subtle realities of how it feels. Uh, so long story short, uh, it has become less and less fulfilling over the years. Uh, like academia, uh, like um, to me, what I, what I see the path of academia is 
it is uh, it's having um, its um, distinction with industry and business like over there it has becoming less and less so the distinction between how things are done in academia mm -hmm. and how things in the, are done in the business world and the industry world are are just uh, uh, shrinking like the distance is going down and all, by going down i mean that they are not coming towards academia academia is moving towards them so the so way the things are is ruling the market yeah the market definitely <laughs> yeah in the end of the day it's it's a matter of market so you uh the, and it's it's a business with the currency being the paper and the h index and all that thing okay. so i i go to the job interview i give them a um, such certain levels of h index and and papers and then they will give me the job so and then that kind of is a kind of a huge discouragement that chaos that i see that uh, like the a lot of times the quality or even the mentality of the scientific mentality i, I don't know i uh, I, I read um, i was reading this book uh, of of the history of I don't know, the first uh, half of the 20th century how how things were evolved when you look at the debates and the conversations that the, these big names had with each other Niels Bohr and Einstein and Schrodinger stuff like that to them the research that they were doing was a continuation of their worldview a continuation of their yeah. philosophy yeah like einstein einstein till the last day of his life like was sure that quantum mechanics is wrong or quantum mechanics is incomplete and now we know that he was wrong but he he was crazy enough to just go put up a fight with with the with what he saw because he he was fighting for his philosophy or his worldview that kind of attitude is no longer there. I mean, it's no longer any. I mean, most of the places that has been seen, but especially what I see in, in physics, at least, or the departments and the research groups that I have been in contact with, mainly uh, it, is, uh, it is, again, going to this, um, uh, to this uh, I don't know, uh, hierarchy of some organization. Sometimes it's the governmental organizations or even the uh, Ministry of Defense, now quantum information is being in con uh, being like attached to the name of I don't know quantum security, internet security, and all those things. Quantum encryption and all that thing has becoming a uh, uh, a a matter of security, national security. So now the security organizations or governmental organizations with a mentality of security, national security, are investing a huge loads and loads and loads of money in this field. That's a good news. There's going to be a lot of jobs. The bad news is you are at some point you questioned yourself, okay, for whom, for what am I working? Am I working for knowledge and science or am I just working for this uh, intelligence agency building his secure network? Um, that's so. That, that being said, so it's like when you so when you when you want to move out uh, when you step out of your uh, dark laboratory in, in in university and you've played with your electrons and your photons stuff like that when you come out and then you look around and you you start to uh, ask these questions and those kind of uh, take out the um, the the enthusiasm that you well, once started think, to have. I think the scientists, the researchers should keep asking those questions and keep the philosophy alive in physics. I mean, that we can leave for another <laughs> interview <laughs> to go through that. But I, yeah. think, I think it is to some extent uh, the responsibility of the person researching. I mean, we can go back and look at all 
the research being put in the Manha Manha Manhattan Project with Feynman. But that's it. We'll leave that for another <laughs> another yeah, discussion. Yeah. So, uh, one thing uh, with everything you know right now, uh, having faced the challenges that you face, being an expat, immigrant, Middle Eastern, mm -hmm. academic, blah blah blah. So, what would you tell your twenty-one-year-old self? Like, what would you want that person? Not that what you would tell him, but what would you want mm -hmm. that person to know to make mm -hmm. decisions you've made? Okay, uh, read more novels. I would tell him. Like this is uh, one thing that I, uh, the world that I, kind of uh, um, got introduced to in immigration and when well, I was in connection with literature. literature and and in literature specifically novels. It just really, really changed me. Uh, so read more novels and. Uh, I think I don't know. Sometimes I think if I if I if I really go back to my undergrad, I will also just just uh, uh, not even follow physics. I will just go to humanities or something like that because now yeah. over time, physics and philosophy yeah. connected. You know? Yeah. So I don't. So uh, so yeah. So maybe I don't know. Maybe I would even uh, go and follow some of the uh, field in, in humanities. But but yeah. So re uh, definitely like. Uh, read more literature I would just tell myself it just uh, toughens you up I think exactly. it that opens in a, in a, in a, experiences yeah, of others yeah. imagination of others definitely and and uh, yeah learn more languages I think uh, I'll tell mm -hmm. myself because because I have another reason that I chose Germany because I had two semesters of German when I was back home before coming here just so I had like a lot of a lot of free time, and I didn't know what to do. And I said, "Okay, let's let's give German a uh, try." Makes us more English better, man. Okay, I. I will talk. If I, my my Deutsch is not good yet, but okay. So last question, because we have to wrap it up. Last question. Uh, really? What... Is that that soon? <laughs> yeah. Just, uh... Uh, so what's next for us? Oh, what's next for me? Uh, so I got uh, I got about a year and a half until the end of my contract. Uh, so I hope they don't kick me out and they don't <laughs> my supervisor don't hear all these things and they don't kick me out. So I'm gonna send it to you. Be, morning. Please be considerate of uh, uh, distributing <laughs> this, so I can put a beep on whenever I'm talking about about quantum information. But anyway, so. Uh, after after that, I um, uh, I'm still like looking around to see to to find like based on my expertise and things what what might be more fulfilling, and what what might be more uh, beneficial uh, in a sense that or something with less damages. Okay, for humanity. <laughs> for humanity. So I don't know. Sometimes I, I um, uh, education comes to my mind. That's just uh, being in the field of education, uh, like as, as a teacher or something, or nice. something that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So still, still in um, um, the work in progress. The, the understanding nice. of what's gonna happen. Yeah. Nice. So I hope we can have you with us for Q and A's with idea and uh, further interviews so let's see how it goes for you and hopefully we'll catch up and see thanks where, where life took us thank you for uh, being with us thank you thank you for uh, for all the questions i hope uh, uh people uh, follow and don't uh, stop the podcast in the middle of it and say okay what kind of nonsense this guy is talking about um no <laughs> i think they'll follow <laughs> to the end so thank you uh, this was idea podcast 
Uh, stay tuned with us for more interviews with interesting people like Arash. Thank you.